Connie was not happy with that opening, by the way. No? Oh, yeah. She wanted me to change it. <laughs> well. She, she did. She, th- she thought that there was too much uh, of me saying f***. Oh, it's you. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is me. You're listening to Let Me Tell You Why You're Wrong. Welcome to episode 177 of the Let Me Tell You Why You're Wrong podcast. I'm Dave Roberts. With me is my podcast partner in crime, the owner of the Georgia Virtue, Jessica Salaji. Hi, Dave. Hey, howdy. How was your week? What did you call me? The owner of the Georgia Virtue? After that. I said, hey, howdy. Oh, that's just not normal, but I'm fine. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> man I, i've had a uh, a great week Connie and i self celebrated uh 14 years congratulations oh oh to me absolutely and i'm very sorry to her because mm-hmm. she d- could have done way better but uh, let everybody in behind the the curtain here we're recording before the weekend, so you know we're gonna go to Chops on Saturday. Everything else, but on the actual anniversary, we went to Ted's, which is you know decent enough restaurant. And you know I ate I don't know three or four uh, uh, cups of pickles because Ted's has great pickles. <laughs> That's all you had. Oh, man, I I tore the hell out of those pickles, man. You kidding me? That that's the reason to go to Ted's. I don't like pickles, so I don't know. You don't like pickles? Nope. You're an I awful love- human being. I am not. Pickles are wrong. <laughs> pickles are wrong. They're salty <laughs> and they're they're all like crunchy and stuff. It's not right. <laughs> They're not right. No. <laughs> not yeah. a fan. Yeah, you and I are not going to get along. <laughs> well, it's a little late. It's a little late. What, what was your first episode as like a as a host where you had your, oh, your essay? Dude, I don't know. 60? No. Really? Before, before that? I don't know. <laughs> Well, you know, you shouldn't ask ask questions you don't have the answer to. Well, I know when I started, I started with episode one. <laughs> Thank you, Jess. Thank you for putting me in my place. Right. So, I mean, how long I have mean, you been around? Just, just go ahead and just put me in my place. Thank you. You're welcome. So, President Biden wants to uh, executive order away non-compete agreements and some occupational licensing. Yes. Like you said, um, we were recording on in the evening before the weekend, so I'm going to be real miffed if they decide to announce the specifics of what they're going to do on Friday and make our show a little dated. But what they what was said on Wednesday of last week um, in a press conference was that um, Biden was going to sign a couple of executive orders and 
they would encourage the Federal Trade Commission to ban non-compete agreements, um, encourage the FTC to ban unnecessary occupational licensing restrictions, um, and then also to encourage the FTC and the DOJ to work together to basically um, outlaw different companies and employers from working together to, quote, suppress wages and reduce benefits um, by sharing information. So like okay, know, FedEx first, and UPS. But So we got to go back to the beginning and go one at a time. But that's that's what they said they were going to do. Okay, first of all, here's the thing. The people who are governed by non-competes are typically not your minimum wage workers. I mean, that's, that's just, true. I mean, he said that. So they said, um, you know, it impacts 30 million people probably that have signed non-competes in the country, including construction workers, hotel workers, blue collar jobs, not just high level executives, which I mean, that's true. It's not always high level executives. Sometimes it's technology people. Sometimes it's realtors, um, leasing agents. journalists. Sure. I'm sure that happens. Um but, <laughs> but 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 here's the thing: you understand what you're signing when you sign onto a job. You do, but so, you know, like, and they vary by state. That's the problem, I think, is that you know some states are super favorable. Like Georgia requires them to be very specific, the territory specific for a specific um, limited amount of time. Um, you can't just go doing something really stupid like 30 years, and then. Um, other states are less friendly and allow, you know, your employer to regulate that, you know, indefinitely, not indefinitely, but it for decade plus. Right. But, but you understand that when you sign on. You do. But do, would you agree that there's a difference between a non-compete for an employee versus a, a contractor? No, absolutely. I would. Here's the thing. You know what you're signing when you sign it. You do. And you're signing on, you know, typically you're so enamored with what you're being offered that you're like, whatever, just hand it to me, I'll sign it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a problem with the different states having different standards because well, of I, don't course have, not. Yeah. I don't have a problem with different states having different standards at all because, right. you know, I, I, I think the states should manage their own legal, especially uh, 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 the civil uh, stuff that's going on within the state. I don't want the federal government stepping in. Well, and that's what makes a state a good or bad place to do business and why there's some are corporation friendly and some are small business friendly and all those other things. What's funny to me is that it's not very often that the federal government, well, there's a couple reasons this is funny to me. One, because they don't like that there's varying laws across the state. So they're like, screw it. Let's get rid of them. Like, usually it's like, we're going to, I mean, I guess they are by default by saying, let's get rid of them saying, you know, this is a one size fits all rule, but it's not often that we hear a one size fits all eliminate something. The second thing is, is I don't think there's going to be like, if you were to just get rid of non-compete agreements, I don't think people are just going to be lining up at the door of their competitors beating down, asking for a job. I mean. No, no, I agree with you. But, but here's the thing. If you're in a specific field, um, let's use banking. 
uh, you know, that's that's my background. So if uh, if you sign on for a certain role in banking, it's basically like, all right, you're not going to leave, you're not going to take the training that we give you and compete against us. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's what the whole idea is, is we're going to train you, we're going to make you into something, and you're not going to compete against us. Do they do that at banks? Like in, in Yes. They do? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess like, that's, I mean, that's an interesting concept too, because <laughs> banking is so highly regulated that there's not, I mean, sure, everybody does things a little bit differently, but it really sounds more like a non-disclosure issue than a non-compete issue. And and usually it's not quite uh, uh, listed as a non-compete. It's a, there's a few other things that go on with it, but it basically says you're not going to go to a competitor and non-competes are not just me going to a competitor. It's mm-hmm. I will not take my employees with me. Right. So it, it's a it's one of those clauses where I've got to be gone for two or three years before I can go and poach one of my former employees. Right. So let the states handle it. Sure. I mean, well, and so, you know, obviously, like, the buzz about it is that he's just encouraging, well, the the rumor is that he's just going to encourage in an executive order, but, I mean, when you appoint the officials to the federal agencies, then they do what you want, so it's kind of like... Yeah, but does he know what he's doing? It's a cop-out to say that we're just going to encourage and let the federal agency decide when you've appointed who the federal agency head is. Yeah, but he has no idea what he's doing either. Well... I mean, Biden couldn't tell you if he went to the bathroom this morning. Well, I wouldn't want to know, so I guess we're on the same page. <laughs> but no, it, it's not the role of the, of the federal government. It's really, I, I don't think it's the role of the state government because it's a private contract. And look, I, I know that you and I disagree a little bit on this one. I just don't think it's the role of any government to get involved in personal contracts. Why do we disagree? I don't know, Jessica, you tell me. I don't disagree. No, but that's what I'm saying. It's just not the role of government to step in and say, this contract's good, this one's not. It's the same reason that I agreed with with SCOTUS on, on... single sex marriage it was i didn't agree with them on why but you know i you know my thing was they made the right decision for the wrong reason the government has no place judging the validity of contracts between consenting adults right and, and, well, what about what about the occupational licensing part? Do you think the federal government should be involved in that? No, absolutely not. If the if the states want to do whatever they're going to do, they can do that. But no, the states should not. the The federal government should not be dictating occupational licenses either. It's not he the role. He says that it it it's unnecessary restrictions, which I mean we don't disagree with. Um, but it. it 
it could impede workers' ability to move and gain more in wages. I mean, and I, I agree mean, with that. Uh, no, I, I, and, I mean, and, and I agree. Look, if I you do an, HVAC, the 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 physics that bring heat out of your house don't change whether you live in Arizona or Georgia. Mm-hmm. And look, and I'm saying this is somebody who has something to lose. Right, but so what I'm you, you're talking about that it it you you agree with it impeding workers' ability to move and gain more in wages. I mean, if the government got out of it, which is what they should do at the at the federal and state and local level, if they got out of it, what we would transition to is a system where national and state organizations do accrediting like they do for private schools, and and we would see, you know, people or industries rely on accreditations for their certification to tell you if someone is legitimate or not. And you would still have to pay, you would still have to pay for that. So, I mean, if, if it impedes your ability when I don't think the government should get a, a single penny for it, I mean, it's a tax and it's, it's a requirement. It's a, it's a hurdle to, to be gainfully employed. But if, if it costs money to do it to the federal government or to the state government and you transition that to a private entity, you're not reducing the, how much it, cost to do business no you absolutely don't but if i know what i'm doing in georgia it doesn't change if i go to alabama now now and understand there is no national uh uh, recognition of hvac it's state to state to state so you know with reciprocity between different states that helps but my skills don't change based on the state. And look, if he wants to remove regulation on the federal level, I'm all for it. The problem is he wants to step in and change how states do it between state to state, and that's a problem. Well, what's interesting, too, is that his like the argument they cited military, um, the military for the reason that this is so necessary because when people are moving all the time, you know, they, and they are constantly, if they have to move every year, they have to get new licenses. And they always do. And that's, and that's what they go to. Well, but hold on a second because the Georgia legislature, I think last year, or maybe it was this year, I'm not sure. They already approved a law that said, you know, if you come, if you're in the military and you're coming from somewhere else and you were certified there, and you're up to date, it just transfers. And lots of states have already done that. So the problem that they, the, the, the reason that they cite for for overstepping their, I guess, authority is 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 not even a thing. Like the states have already solved it. It's, it's also between the states. It's not a federal issue. And, that, and that's the thing is if you're, if you are a federalist, you believe that the states have the right to, you know, govern themselves. So Biden has no place even getting involved. Then again, he doesn't know that he is. Well, and I just, it's super funny to me that he wants to, you know, make such a great environment for employees when he's pretty much said like, what is crap on all of them? Let me count thy ways that I can and make you make it more lucrative to not be an employee and to stead, stay at the house. Well, speaking of losing one's job, 
after more of than a year of uh, publicity, I can't talk tonight. Uh, Trey Kelly is stepping down from his leadership position in the House of Reps. Jessica. Yes. He was the majority whip, and this came out, he, he timed it wonderfully. You know, I think he announced, um, it, it's, the rumors started trickling out right before the 4th of July holiday, and then I think on the Tuesday after he announced, which is like a dead week, and then the hurricane came. So bravo to him. I mean, I mean, I guess if that guy would have died on a holiday weekend, it would have been a little less newsworthy. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. It was. Let's re- let's remind everybody of of what Trey Kelly did. You know, real quick, uh, a guy who he was friends with hit a a bis- allegedly a bicyclist uh, through him. No, just, he hit him. That's not allegedly. He hit him. It, it, you have to remind me thirty yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, he hit the snot out of this guy. So he calls Trey Kelly. And again, this guy is supposed to be uh, mentally limited. He doesn't know what he hit. And Trey Kelly calls the police chief instead of, call, instead of calling 911. And Trey is a, is a lawyer. Allegedly. So... This guy hit somebody so hard that he flew the flew him far enough off of the road that you could not see him. So just just so that you know, remind everybody of what Trey did. Mm-hmm. He did, and 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 I mean, the guy ended up dying because it. The, the ambulance, as soon as soon as they actually did call for EMS, I think they were there in less than five minutes, but um, it was too late for Eric Keese. But, um, and, and he was on the ground for an hour. Right. But, you know, this happened in 2019. The news of it came out in 2020, right before the pandemic. Um, there were some really heavy-hitting investigative pieces on 11 Alive on their reveal series. And, you know, there was a whole lot of hoopla people calling for him to step down. Um, I think William Perry did a, a thing with Fox 5, like it or not, asking or calling on him to step down. Like there was a lot of pressure and he didn't because it was an election year and he wanted to run again. And if he would have stepped down then and, and all these things. Well, now they're saying that. And, and so a grand jury indicted him earlier this year in 2021 um, on, I guess they presented a number of other charges. I don't really understand. I I mean, I don't understand what they were thinking because they didn't even go up for vehicular homicide for the driver, but they indicted Kelly on a misdemeanor um, for reckless conduct. Well, that was, I think, in January and or maybe even December. But here we are in July and he's stepping down from his leadership position because they're going to have their caucus meetings in not too long. And. Trey Kelly wants us to think that um, he's stepping down because he wants to focus on his family and or his personal life and his professional life. He needs to dedicate his time and energy to that. And um, 
I just don't buy it. I didn't buy it when he, I didn't buy it when I heard it was a rumor. I didn't buy it when the news hit and I still don't buy it. And I'm not going to bring it up on the show, but everybody knows there's other scandals going on with Trey Kelly. There's always a scandal going on with Trey Kelly. And he's a damn liar. And his wife filed for divorce in May. So, Oh, Mm -hmm. look, here's the thing. It, it, I don't mean to be confrontation, confrontational with you, Jess, on the last story. Uh, here's the thing. He's a damn liar. And he knows he's a damn liar. He knows he screwed up. Like anybody with any integrity would stand up and say, you know what? I screwed the pooch on this one. Well, and that's the thing is like there were plenty of people who didn't think that he should be held accountable legally. Like there might not be a legal crime or, you know, something done illegally, but um, that if he would have just come out and been like, yeah, he should have done more or like just from a moral humane, like a, right and a wrong. humanity. Right. Yeah. Right and wrong. But he shows that he should have n- neither. And so it looks like he's going to be kind of back to square one on everything with this. Um, oh, man. I don't care. I'm not a Trey Kelly fan. And look, anybody who follows me on Facebook knows that that I've been trolling uh, uh, Trey Kelly for a while. <laughs> uh, uh, <there's, laughs> I, I got a friend of ours to create <laughs> a meme that Trey Kelly put this picture up of him standding behind a Trump and a Trey Kelly sign. And on the side of a road is a massive of a ditch road, behind him. And... I I got this friend of ours to put a, a bicyclist down behind him. So it's so much that Trey Kelly actually called a friend of mine, asked me to stop doing it. And he said, <laughs> the last thing you want to do in the world is ask Dave to stop doing that. That means I'm going to post it twice every time. But look, he deserves it. He knew better. So if if we accept the fact that the guy that actually hit the bicyclist is of ment, uh, is mentally limited, are we to accept that Trey Kelly is not? Well, I have a lawyer friend who suggested that you know it would be inappropriate, like if if he if he. He got an attorney, obviously, and now he has one represent Lester Tate is representing him. But my lawyer friend suggested that it would have been unwise of Trey Kelly to to talk to the police or do anything more because he would have incrimin he could have incriminated himself. Right. But at the point where the guy says, I don't know if I hit a person or a deer, that's when you call 911. Is it or is it the time you say are there any witnesses? Uh, exactly right. And that that's where he is. Is He's more worried about protecting his buddy and everything else. But the point where someone says, I don't know if I had a deer or a person, you say, I, I'll stop. I'm going to call 911 and we're going to find out if you hit a person. And look, there was, there was paint on, on his uh, vehicle. Like, deer don't have paint on them. Trey knew damn well what happened. 
but he thought he was smarter than everybody else. That he thought he was so much smarter that he could get his buddy out of this and that he would make a phone call to the police chief and make this go away. At the point where you see red paint on someone's hood, you know damn well that's not a deer. And he knew it. And he left. He let that man sit in a ditch for an hour and suffer and die. Because he was more concerned with helping his buddy than he was with doing the right thing. And I'm sorry to get so, get so deep on a, on a uh, show that that prides itself on levity, but <laughs> you, you never have anything to say. <laughs> so, in this week's segment on the war on parenthood. The Illinois Department of Child and Family Services used safety plan to remove dozens of children from a home. Whoa, 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 whoa. The word dozen is not on the outline. That's what it says here. No. Had to remove children from a home <laughs> after their child was born with breathing difficulties and the child abuse pediatrician accused the mother of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. And you should have capitalized all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we've been talking about this last several weeks, just different ridiculous um, things that are happening to parents across the United States. And this one just, I mean, as I was reading it, the further I got through the article, the more irritated I was. Um, but basically what happened is um, there's most hospitals have a child abuse pediatrician and it's somebody that is a liaison with the with DFACS or whatever the state agency may be in whatever respective state. But they they are the the communication point. They evaluate cases, whether those cases are. Um, right there in the emergency room or they look at case files. Well, in this case, the pediatrician reviewed the case file. Um, She had never met the mother or the child. And she decided that, or determined, excuse me, that the mother was causing or faking the child's illness to get attention because the child um, spent nine days in ICU after he was born. Um, He had dozens and dozens of oxygen treatments. He had tubes put in his ears and then he had four surgeries. And all of this was over a two-year period. Now, I mean, I think most of us, like when we think about a child abuse pediatrician, we think about when a child comes in multiple times with broken bones or bruising or cuts and scrapes and like physical, we don't think about breathing treatments and tubes in their ears and surgeries that have to do with the, you know, ears, nose and throat. But anyway... When the little boy was two, so this this doctor made this determination after two years, but or over the two year period. But um, when the little boy was two, he was in the hospital. Defects worker came in, removed the family from the hospital room, and barred them from returning. So the little boy was in the hospital by himself for four days um, until they could find a foster family for him. And then they took his three year old brother, and the mother was pregnant, and they took that baby four hours after or four hours after she gave birth, and um. All because the defects agent determined that she believed the mother was doing this on purpose. 
Um, right. Okay. Munchausen by proxy is where a parent, usually the mother, will hurt the child to get attention. Uh, we, we, we see this with, uh, typically with, with parents who poison their kids, that kind of stuff. So that's Munchausen by proxy. So after two years, uh, the government decided to take the child and his three-year-old sibling away from the mother. And father, they are a full family, and well, they they I'm spent sorry. I, they they spent four hundred sixty seven days apart, and they got supervised visits with a defax worker two hours a day, two times a week until COVID hit, and then they were only allowed to meet via Zoom. All three children like this. I mean, I would be out for blood if somebody took my child at birth and I didn't get to. Uh, you I, think? Yeah, I would. I would. Uh, this wouldn't just end with a. Hey, I'm going to do something good with the Family Justice Resource Center and help other families affected like this. Like their legal bills on their side for the family were $60,000. And the fam- the reason she's a volunteer at the Family Justice Resource Center now is because they help them with the legal bills and they had to she went in and um they got an attorney, they had to hire an expert, another doctor, they had to get genetic testing done which showed that the little boy had I don't know how to pronounce it, but some syndrome that causes airway issues um, that was genetic. And then the mother had weekly drug tests. Her OBGYN wrote letters. She went under a three-day state-sanctioned psych evaluation. And $60,000 later, they're like, oh, okay, sure, yeah, you can have your kids back. It, it, why the hell is that even even necessary? I mean – This physician never met the child. It's amazing to me. You shouldn't be allowed to, there should not be a way to take a child from its family if you have not met the family. I mean, that's unacceptable. And look, I'm the first person to say if you have an abusive relationship, if, if, you know, you're being if a child's being born into a bad situation. I'm the first person to say, absolutely, take that kid away from him. But this doctor never even met the damn family. No. Nope. And you know, Texas just had a, some big overhauls um, with their family law laws, and basically said that if parents are accused of abuse. Um, based on a medical report, if that's that's the only thing you're relying on, the parents, before you can take the child or children, the parents can request a second opinion from a specialist in the field, which is like, I mean, still a cost. And, and you know, if you don't have insurance or you don't know where to go, I mean, those are there's still some hurdles, but that's a hell of a lot easier than $60,000 and a, a year and a half away from your children. I, when you're talking about a year and a half... Into a kid that's a year and a half old. Oh, my God. I'd kill him. Not the kid. <laughs> you wouldn't kill the kid? No. <laughs> but you're talking about a three-year-old at, at the time who is now four and a half. And you're talking about a, a baby. A two-year-old who, that's now three and a half. Right. A, a baby 
please tell me how you justify like not I mean, I know this is getting like way off in the weeds and stuff, but how do you justify based on a medical report? an additional child not being like a newborn not being able to be breastfed by its mother or have that like close i mean i i don't i don't know how you do it like you have to be a vindictive awful terrible human being that uses your position only for bad if that's the kind of thing you are willing to do without ever meeting the family i won't even go that far but but i will say that i will children who are disassociated from their mothers have real problems i mean it's the the disassociation from the mother the the love everything that you could think that your mom gave you when that's deprived those kids have real problems and for the state to be inflicting that on on a child is absolutely awful you know, it's it, it, and where are the supervisors? Why didn't anybody say, "Hey, let's slow down"? Because someone had an MD, and because they had, they had an MD, it was like, okay, well, the doctor said we have to do this because there was somebody else they they could put the blame on and all that stuff. Kids that grow up without mamas, with grow up without daddies, have a huge disadvantage in life. Even little things like they're crying and having mama pick them up is huge. And having that disassociated from them is absolutely a crime. And I don't, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. No. But yeah, this is, you know, it's an absolute crime. But this is a good time to remind you that these are our opinions and not those of anyone not on the show or any respective company for which we, we may work, own, or otherwise associate ourselves with on a regular or irregular basis. Right, Jess? Correct. <laughs> New AJC... Uh, Report says Georgia bankruptcy filings reveal economic racial differences. Jesus H. Christ, take me away. <laughs> so, AJC obviously um, did this long form dual author journalism piece where they um, analyzed all different kinds of factors of bankruptcy, which I think would be super interesting. Like, I think it's fascinating to know. I want to know, especially since it's the government basically signing off saying you don't have to pay most of your debts back. I want to know what those debts are. Are they, is it mortgages? Is it student loans? Is it credit cards? Like, what are the circumstances? Tell us about it. How much of it's cars and furniture, um, medical debt, all of that. I think those are all important conversations to have and it would be a really great article. But the AJC tanked it as they normally do and took the, the route of black and white. Um, everybody you know, else be damned. You just ruined your chances of writing for the AJC. Oh, gosh. Whatever <laughs> will I do? <laughs> um, yeah. In the, alt, uh, in, in the, the 2000 bankrupt Georgians, 
the analysis uh, showed nearly 220 million scattered over 400,000 plus debts. The analysis uh, revealed that hope failed to deliver for poor Georgians who on student loan debt, one in 10 filers with student loan debt were below the poverty line. So one in 10. uh, Yeah. Well, and the other thing about like incorporating student loan debt is it's like, it's a, it's such a complex issue that the government has perpetuated. I mean, no, I mean, you talk about 90% were not below the poverty line that that took student loan debt. Most of the kids that take student loan debt are above the poverty line. Well, most of the students who take student loans don't know what the poverty line is, don't really have an income, are dependents because of their age and the way that things are set up and I mean it's a it's a freaking mess like it's why it's so problematic in the first place but I think it's I thought it was funny that they said the average owed was like ten thousand dollars in the state of Georgia and I mean that's not even that much like we hear stories all the time about people owing a hundred and twenty thousand hundred fifty thousand dollars for just having their undergraduate degree and um but it, what what kills me here is that this article is is black and white. Like literally, those are the only two demographics they discuss. What's funny is, I actually had a conversation with a kid who was in at Life. Uh, he was uh, doing his clinical, so it was at the end of well, end of his life, end of his term at Life. And he uses college loans to buy a motorcycle to use as a down payment on his house, everything else. And he owed like 80 grand. And I said, son, how much do you make to crack a back? It's like oh, $50, $50. So you make 50 per crack. He goes, well, I would put it like that. But yeah, you understand that's 160,000 backs you have to crack before, without interest or anything else, I said, do they teach math at life? Because you're being failed. But he used his his ability to get a student loan to buy his motorcycle and buy his mm-hmm. buy his house and everything else. I'm like, son, do they teach math? And apparently, they don't. Well, and in, in this. It's not just student loans. So here's another fun fact, I guess you could say. Um, they said that, uh, or their findings said that um, the average size of mortgage debt in white and black neighborhoods was similar. The quality of those mortgages was not. One third of filers in mostly black neighborhoods owed more on their homes than the home was worth. Just 21% of filers in mostly white neighborhoods faced the same situation. Well, um, pretty sure that the amount of money you take out on your home is your choice. Uh, it's, it's disclosed. I know. I've been, I've been in the room, and so have you. It's disclosed. If you want to take out more than what your home is worth, 
like there's there's line items you have to sign for that. That's an option. You you have to like explain why you're doing that. Oh, good God, man! I that's not a racial thing. No, it's not. And there are protections in place within banking to keep things from being racial. So the banks don't know what color you are. The fact that values in the suburbs have gone up faster than the values inside the city have nothing to do with race. It has to do with catching off, catching on fire. So there's, it's not like appraisers are coming out to my house, which I would really appreciate them not valuing my house where it is. Um, but it's not like they come out and go, oh, that's a white family. We're going to appraise this higher. The fact that the houses in the inner cities are are going down versus the, those in the suburbs have a lot to do with the political strife and less to do with the color. Because there are plenty of white people that own houses in town that are losing their asses. It's just the way it is. They made a bad investment. And if you own a house out in the suburbs where I am, you know, you've done better. Not not that I can go anywhere because if we get another house in the suburbs, it cost me a fortune. But it's not a racial thing. And the fact that the AJC tries to tie this into racial politics is damn evil. Well, listen to this one. So they said that filers making less than $35,000 a year owed nearly double the medical debt compared with above average income filers. Below average income filers owed nearly triple the auto debt of wealthier files, filers, and neither medical debt nor auto debt is an appreciating asset. First of all, thank you for that, AJC. I had no idea. Um, but second, I mean, if you make less than $35,000 a year, chances are you don't have health insurance. And so, of course, your medical debt's going to be higher because you probably don't have health insurance. And the auto debt, I have zero, zero sympathy for. Yeah, no kidding. No one told you to buy that car. Just because they approved you for it doesn't mean you had to buy it. I just, I, I just don't care. Debt is 100% the control of the person who takes it. No one forces you to buy a car. No one forces you to do to buy a house. That is 100% on the person that, that takes out that debt. Right, and if you're buying a house, or, I mean, if you're buying a house, it should be because it's, makes more sense to own than it does to rent in your situation. The same reason you should, if you're leasing a car, it's because it makes more sense for you at that time than to own a car. I mean, I don't know what, everybody's circumstances are different, but like it the it should be the most opt, optimal reason. And then when it's not, or it doesn't work out, or you've taken on too much, like that's nobody else's fault. Yeah. And, and like you said, specifically with auto debt, like 
you went to the car dealership and you found a car and you said, I will go into debt for, uh, for that car for 10 years. I mean, and then you defaulted on it. And so your credit score was poor. So when you went to buy a house, you got a higher interest rate. And so the person, so, so then you pay more over the life of the loan. I'm failing to see why this is a racial thing. Amen, sister. And what's interesting is that like, so this AJC article, which we'll link on when we embed the audio, if you, if you get it from the Georgia Virtue, um, if not, you can just go to the podcast page on the Georgia Virtue and, and we'll link it there. Or you can go to the AJC, but I did tell a friend about it and she had a hard time finding it because it's an investigation piece, not a news article. But anyway, they, the way they have it, it's all kinds of charts and text boxes and um, just, it's not like your long form article of just paragraph after paragraph. And so they've like intertwined all these racial things and the discrepancies. And then they'll say things like neither race nor class fully captures this discrepancy or white and black homeowners actually had more in common than they didn't. But the things they didn't have in common were huge disparities. Like they're acknowledging that basically they're embellishing the bad points, which are just happenstance. Like life is not just terrible across the board for black people and wonderful across the board when it comes to finances for white people, just because like that's, that's not, Accurate. So basically you're saying no frigging kidding. Yes. But, so, but but what's interesting though is that they got away with outlining it the way that they did and and weaving those tiny little oh by the ways into their article. And of course there's no comment section. Um but you <laughs> you've you've perpetuated you, you would have filled them up. <laughs> no. Um but it, <laughs> You're perpetuating a narrative with with colorful charts and text boxes that no doubt have been screenshotted and and shared around. Um, Poorer filers hold 15% more medical debt. Poorer than what? I'm poorer than my mother because my mother has worked her entire life. And I've worked my entire life, but her entire life is more than mine. Not by much. Not by much. (laughs) Here's the thing. It doesn't, race doesn't play into it. It just doesn't. It, if, if you look at anything and you keep changing the standards of, of what you're looking at, you're going to find something that, that will, will go into your race theory. It doesn't play into that. It is 100% socioeconomic. 100%. People of means don't tend to get themselves into bad situations with debt. That's just the way it is. So it is, it's not white, black, or anything else. It is socioeconomic. It's also how you deal with and how you fight to get out of a situation that is less than ideal. I mean, I know lots of people of all different races that have fallen on hard times and some of them, you know, sold off everything they owned and and started fresh. Some of them filed bankruptcy and will never make that mistake again. Like I know someone that filed bankruptcy in their early 20s and it was a huge lesson. And now they're like a cheapskate and and a stickler. Like they learn from it. Okay. 
Look, I know somebody who filed bankruptcy in the 70s or 80s, and he is now probably the most successful person I know. And right. he said, I will never do that again. He said he, he went to work. And he went to work as a damn Taco Bell employee and ended up owning a dozen or whatever it is because he had the work ethic to do it. Mm-hmm. It's exactly. It's what you – people – I mean people fall on hard times and things happen and you have to claw your way out of it sometimes. And But it's how you rebound from that. And and if, if you're just filing for bankruptcy, for bankruptcy and then going to the same thing, then – Sure, I could see why it's generational because you've done nothing to improve your situation. If you fight like hell to get out and and improve your debt situation, it really doesn't matter what race you are because you're going to do better. Right, because you are who, who you are. Because you're the person that's going to strive to make your situation better. But before we get into closing thoughts, an update uh, on a previous story we covered, uh, though he remains under investigation, the Gwinnett County Sheriff is backing down from uh, following a lawsuit by Bail Bondsman Service. Yeah, I think we talked about this, what, like, like a month and a half ago, two months ago? Something but like that, yeah. Gwinnett County Sheriff Kibo Taylor, I just I just wanted to touch on it because it got lost in the 4th of July holiday. Um, I guess like the, the morning, the night before they were supposed to go to court for the first thing on the lawsuit – that was filed. Um, he agreed that if they dropped the lawsuit, he would reinstate the comp- the company that was suing him's certification. And if you remember, um, he had he was caught on video saying if he didn't support him during the election, he was going to pull their certification so they couldn't work in the county. And then he did it, <laughs> and he claimed it wasn't retaliation. He did nothing wrong, and that you know nothing about it was wrong, and he could do what he wanted and. Um, apparently that's not true, but, um, despite the fact that (laughs) (laughs) apparently the GBI is still investigating, which really doesn't mean much to me, but, um, you know, he was, he was facing civil and criminal things and now it's just the civil side or the criminal side. So, I mean, he straight up said it. He did. He said, if you don't support me, I'm going to pull your certification. Yeah, I mean, he straight up said it. I mean, and it was on surveillance at the at the bail company. I was about to say his own surveillance. Was it his own or was it the bail bondsman? Well, he wasn't elected yet, so I don't think it was his surveillance, but it may have been his. But regardless, um, it was like one of those cameras that's in the corner of a room. So he probably just thought there wasn't any audio. Fatal mistake, buddy. Fatal mistake. Good Lord, man. And and does he have the autonomy and the authority to, to say who does business in his county? Yes, they actually do. Um, and but that's that's the weird thing. It like it's, it's, it's only bail, bail bondsmen that mm-hmm. the sheriff has to sign off on your ability to do business in their county. Right. Like and in you South Georgia, to, that's huge. Oh, yeah, but you have to kiss the sheriff's ass in order to stay in business. And support their political campaign, apparently. And, and to me, that's a bigger issue Absolutely. than just this one case. Is Absolutely. that if you want to run a bail bondsman company, it's not your ability to run a bail bondsman company. It's how well do you kiss the sheriff's ass? Mm-hmm. 
Yes. And that to me is the bigger issue than, I mean, this one case is egregious. Don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, Kimbo Taylor should go to jail. Uh, Kibo. Kibo, sorry. I was thinking Kimbo Slice, um, who's a who's a uh, fighter. Uh, but he should go to jail. But the bigger issue is the fact that in Georgia, you can go from election to election not knowing if you can keep your, keep yourself in business. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's a huge issue. It is, but you know what? They have a lot of lobbying power, and and they work alongside the Georgia Sheriffs Association. And well, I, don't know, I, don't, I mean, <laughs> like it's I, I feel bad for them, and I I don't think it's right. But at the same time, I'm like eh, you kind of put yourself in that position. Yeah, but not the individual. No, no. You know anything that's the association or anything else is. You know the individual doesn't have any doesn't have any control over it. Uh, you know I I don't necessarily dis I don't I, I love my sheriff, but he's a member of the Georgia Sheriffs Association. They all are. Well, exactly, but I don't dislike him individually. So you know that that's one of those things where you really can't hold this one bail bondsman accountable to what the association does. But I love the fact that they stuck it to this damn sheriff. Well, and it's the power of a viral media story, like having an impact because you can bet that if it hadn't been on camera, if it hadn't been recorded and if it hadn't gone viral and, and made all those headlines, it wouldn't have been resolved because it would have been, I mean, no, no, you're absolutely a thousand percent correct on that. Had it not been on camera, had the sheriff not gotten caught asking for a bribe, and that's really the story here is the sheriff was asking for a bribe. So anyway, Jessica, do you have any closing thoughts? Just free Britney. Free Britney. Mm-hmm. That's a very sweet thought. Uh, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna double up on my last week's. Uh, my wife makes very poor choices in men, but thank you. Uh, this uh, this Wednesday is our 14th anniversary, and I am glad that she makes very poor choices in men. That <laughs> 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 got a scoff from you. So for Jessica Salaji, my partner in crime. Eric Cumbie, our editor. I'm Dave Roberts. Have a great week.